Welcome to Crescent City Crime, dear listeners. I'm Tracy. And I'm Brian. And thank you to everybody who has been listening to us. Thank you for making time for us during your probably busy week. Yes, thank you. Thank you, everyone. We appreciate every time you listen to us. Yes, and our socials are TikTok at TBSmith68, Instagram is CCC NOLA Podcast. We do have a Facebook group and a YouTube channel, which will be linked in the show notes. Of course, our YouTube is the home of uh, the, the superb reporting of David Ford. Yes, and he's an outstanding <clears throat> former British uh, reporter. Racing reporter. Yeah, he, he uh, he's on everything. Well, supposedly he was in Mexico City for the Me- uh, Mexico Grand Prix last Sunday. I when see. he reported from the uh, from lap seventy one live, <laughs> uh, although he <clears throat> he kind of misspoke. He didn't say uh, Crescent City Crime. No, he said something else. So I think we might have to fire him. Uh, I'll uh, I'm, I'm gonna give him a counseling. All right. Okay. Yeah, that that that's that's too harsh. All right. You know, he's not American. He has a learning curve. Okay. Okay. Fine. All right. So you will counsel him. Yes. All right. So everybody, if you oh, also on our YouTube channel is essentially our episodes that you know serves to to exist. Uh, mainly as a backup, but of course we always appreciate it if you want to listen to our episodes on YouTube. Yeah, that that helps get it. That helps get us some attention. Yes, yes it certainly does. And and of course, there's no point in listening to David Ford's report. You have to watch them. That's true. You do have to watch David Ford. Yeah. Now, if you want to help give us some more attention, you can always tell your friends, and of course, tell your enemies especially tell your enemies. And if you would like to leave us a rating or a review, especially on Apple Podcasts, we'd always appreciate that. And make sure that you are subscribed to us everywhere. We are on multiple platform, I'm sorry, multiple podcasting platforms. Just search us out and subscribe. Best part is it costs you absolutely nothing. It costs you absolutely nothing. That's correct. So, Today's topic is one that I've been wanting to discuss for a long time. This is something that has always fascinated me, even as a as a young child, is uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. And Brian, you surprisingly have some things in common with Lee Harvey Oswald. Yes, it, it is rather spooky, and it starts off kind of early. Um, both of us. Or should I say oh, late? But, but wait, but we should mention you did not ever meet him. No, never, never met him. Kind of impossible. I was born a few years later. Uh, you're right. Yes, you are. Yes. Um, so, some would tell me in a rather cynical fashion that I I followed in his footsteps. Uh, maybe not, you know, uh, terribly far. Okay. But, well, you you did not assassinate a president, so I think you're you uh, landed a lot better than he did. Yes, definitely, definitely. And also, he you know, spoiler alert, everybody. He did not treat his wife well, and Brian treats me well. So there's another huge difference between you and him. 
Yeah, there are, there are, it's important to note there are big differences between myself and Lee Harvey Oswald, despite uh, share, some shared common uh, history, uh, starting with uh, Civil Air Patrol. Uh, when he was a teenager, he was a member of the same cadet squadron in Civil Air Patrol meeting out at the lakefront airport, just like I wound up doing several years later. Right. Okay. Uh, I don't really know anything about what he did in the Civil Air Patrol. And when I was a cadet in Civil Air Patrol, Lee Harvey Oswald was never mentioned in any of our meeting, meetings. I participated with Civil Air Patrol for three years as a teenager. So apparently Civil Air Patrol didn't want to talk, talk about Lee Harvey Oswald. I can't see I blame them at all. Oh, but we're going to be talking about it. Of course, of course. So, and then next, uh, I graduated from Eleanor McMain Magnet School, one of the considered to be the second best school in the New Orleans public school system, second to Ben Franklin, also a magnet school. Uh, that school is on South Claiborne and Nashville, Uptown. Lee Harvey Oswald also attended McMain Magnet as well. Right. Okay. So <laughs> two of the two of the things and of course this is on top of, of Oswald living in New Orleans uh, as 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 a young person. As just just like me. Um and and then later on and Lee Harvey Oswald joined the Marine Corps after high school I did the same thing. Now, my initial MOS in the Marine Corps was supposed to be as a radar technician. Mm -hmm. Okay. And won't really get into it, but I left for boot camp at a different time and wound up with a different MOS. Didn't, <clears throat> you know, another story, story for another time. Uh, Oswald's MOS in the Marine Corps was uh, radar technician. Okay. Yes. And... Uh, he shot sharpshooter with the rifle in boot camp. I also shot sharpshooter uh, rifle in boot camp. Now, I don't know whether or not that was simply the best Lee Harvey Oswald could do with the rifle. Uh, I was shooting at expert level in, until qualification day as I was trying to get a higher score, and I was making adjustments to uh, the sights on my rifle from the 500-yard line which turned out to be a mistake. I had a few problems. I ran into a few problems in qualification day for the 500-yard line, uh, most notable of which was the was when I shot the wrong target. Yeah. Now, the targets get scored before a disregard is signaled for. and But when the target was scored, it was a bullseye. So had I shot my own target in the same fashion, I would have shot expert that day. But anyway, still coincidence we both shot sharpshooter now uh, let's see that that's almost where it ends uh now he seemed to have a fascination with military surplus he did rifles okay so we we, we shared that fascination although that that's not a huge coincidence there's lots of people who are fascinated with military surplus rifles as far as this uh Italian Carcano rifle goes. I don't share that fascination whatsoever. Crummy rifle. 
but but that that's pretty much uh, that's pretty much my common history with Lee Harvey Oswald. Ah, but you forgot one thing. What did I forget? Both of you were born in New Orleans. Oh, that that's right. Yeah, we were both born in New Orleans. Yes. Uh, yeah. yes. He was born on October the eighteenth, nineteen thirty-nine, at the old French hospital in New Orleans. You know what's interesting about that? What's that? That's close to my birthday. Okay, he was born in 39. I was born in 69. Ah, I yeah. was born on September 17th. He was born uh, October 18th. That's true. So that's one month and a day later. So and, that's a little close right there. And also 30 years later. Yeah, 30, 30 years, years yeah. 30 years later. Yeah. yeah. Yes, fortunately, I've never even attempted to assassinate any public official anywhere. So, uh, now some people would argue that another thing we have in common is neither one of us assassinated a president. Well, yeah. we'll, we'll get to yeah. that later. That's <laughs> what some people would say. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that later along with what, <laughs> what I think is the truth. His parents were Robert Edward Lee Oswald Sr. and his mother was Marguerite Frances Claveri. Robert Oswald was a third cousin of President Theodore Roosevelt and a distant cousin of the Confederate General Robert E. Lee, and he served in the Marines during World War I. So that was his dad. So Lee Harvey Oswald. Second generation Marine. Second generation Marine, but he's also related to a couple of important people. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Now, Robert died of a heart attack two months before Lee was born, which is... Uh, something else you slightly have in common with him was um, uh, my parents were divorced months after I was born right and you you know you he grew up without a father you also kind of grew up without a father that's a different topic for a different time but that's something else you have in common with him yes so in 1944 Marguerite moved the family from New Orleans to Dallas, Texas. And when Oswald entered the first grade in 1945, and over the next half dozen years, he attended several different schools in the Dallas and Fort Worth areas throughout the sixth grade. He took an IQ test in the fourth grade, and he scored 103 on achievement test. And he also had high marks in reading, but he did not do well in spelling. As a child. Oh, my. That's another thing we had in common. Elementary school, I didn't do well on spelling either. Ah. Till late in elementary when I actually started doing what I was supposed to be doing. Which was studying? Yeah, studying. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, as a child, Oswald was described as withdrawn and temperamental by several people who knew him. In August of 1952, Oswald was 12. He and his mother took him, he and his mother went to live in New York City for a short time with Oswald's half-brother, John. Lee Harvey Oswald and his mother were later asked to leave after an argument in which Lee allegedly struck his mother and threatened John's wife with a pocket knife. So off to a uh, very good start here. Yeah, he was, um, whether or not anyone believes that he assassinated John F. Kennedy, he was not really a good person. No, he really was not a good person. Yeah, that is something that that is established early on, is that from these volatile beginnings, it it just kept snowballing. 
So when Lee was in seventh grade, he, so I'm sorry, when Lee attended seventh grade in the Bronx, New York city, but he was often truant. And this led to a psychiatric assessment at a juvenile reformatory. And the reformatory psychiatrist, Dr. Renatus Hartogs, described Lee as immersed in a vivid fantasy life, turning around the topics of, of omnipotence and power through which he tries to compensate for his present shortcomings and frustrations. What do you make of that? He, he, he wanted to do something great. He did want to do something but great. But <laughs> it, it, it sounds like he wanted to do something, but his moral compass was pretty questionable. Right. Meaning, you know, his idea of doing something great and other young people, you know, his age, their idea of doing something great was kind of different. Like some of his peers, I'm sure, had dreams of becoming fighter pilots, astronauts, uh, becoming uh, heroes in war themselves, or, be, you know, becoming doctors, veterinary engineer. Uh, his aspirations may have been something along the lines of gaining power through forceful means. All right. So, yeah, so he did have that fanciful imagination. He wanted to turn things. He wanted to do something great. Yeah, yeah. But, Which, but, but this is kind of great in the sense of, uh, say, um, evil wizard from Harry Potter. Great. Right. Okay. okay. Because a lot of us do dream about doing great things. And and those great things can – great things – fall under a generous umbrella. Like, for example, I do consider the fact that if you are a, if, if you are parents and if you manage to raise good adults, because that's what you're doing when you have children, you're raising them to be good adults, uh, that that's a great thing to do, for example. Uh, if you want to be an airline pilot, that's a great thing to do. If you want to write a book, that's a great thing to do. Have a podcast great thing to be do. a fireman be a fireman yeah. yeah be an emt yeah all these things are great things okay but sometimes you have people whose aspirations of being great um that they're they're not always the the thing that they do is a terrible sort of great like violently and forcefully trying to control people yeah force like change force change in other people so Oswald's aspirations seem to be, uh, as in Harry Potter, Voldemort's great. Terrible, yes, but great. Yeah, that that's pretty much what, what we're talking about here is that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald is actually Voldemort. Or, <laughs> <laughs> well, like one of the, I, I would call him a Death Eater. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Because it's it's questionable whether or not Oswald was in charge. He involved, yes. Okay. <laughs> Desiring violent and forceful change, yes. You know. Well, it was around this time that Lee Harvey Oswald and his mother moved back to New Orleans where he completed the 8th and ninth grades. By age 15, he considered himself a socialist. 
And that was at McMain, right? I'm assuming so, yeah. yeah McMain, when I, when I attended McMain, they did have a middle school there, 7th and 8th grade. According to Lee's diary, he said, I was looking for a key to my environment, and then I discovered socialist literature. <clears throat> I had to dig for my books in the back dusty shelves of libraries. And at 16, he wrote to the Socialist Party of America for information on their Young People Socialist League, saying that he had been studying socialist principles for well over 15 months. And in 1955, Oswald became a cadet of the Civil Air Patrol in New Orleans. And his fellow cadets recalled him attending the meetings three or four times or 10 to 12 times over a one to three month period. Oh, very interesting. Okay, so now, like me, okay, I was looking for a father figure. Mm -hmm. Okay. As much of my childhood was spent without a father, okay. He had no father in childhood. Unfortunately for Oswald, he didn't quite find it with Civil Air Patrol. No, I guess he didn't. And unfortunately for him, he was looking for it. Uh, he was actually looking for it among uh, subversive elements. Now, he dropped out of school in the 10th grade in 1955. And he still got into the Marine Corps. Maybe it was just different back then. Yeah. Did. So, and apparently he was still searching for that father figure in the Marine Corps, but he, just like with Civil Air Patrol, apparently he did not let it, he, he probably didn't let it influence him in a positive way. No, probably not. But after leaving school, he worked for several months as an office clerk and a messenger in New Orleans. And in July of 1956, Marguerite Oswald moved the family to Fort Worth, Texas. So again, from New Orleans to Texas, back to New Orleans, and back to Texas. So it's a lot of back and forth. Dallas area. Dallas area. Yeah. Dallas, so he's had he had early history in the New Orleans area, as well as the Dallas area. Right. Which is which is intriguing because the, you know the the assassination, uh, plot, is involving both of those cities, of course. So that was a lot of back and forth for for, for a family, though. I mean, you're picking up roots and you're or picking up stakes and you're moving your family every few years. It creates uh, instability, you know, changing schools. Yes. All, all that stuff. Uh, of course, it, this obviously contributes to the kind of the kind of adult life he wound up having, but it doesn't excuse one bit of it. No, and there's a lot of there's a lot of people who have moved around a lot as children, and you know traveled a lot as an adult and had uh, you know a lot of things going on, and they turned out okay. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So in so when they went back to Fort Fort Worth, Lee did re-enroll in the tenth grade at Arlington Heights High School in Fort Worth. But then a few weeks later, he quit school again at the age of 17, and this is when he joined the Marine Corps, and he never earned a high school diploma. I guess it was a time in the Marine Corps where you could do that. Now, at the point of him enrolling in the, or I'm sorry, enlisting in the Marine Corps, 
He had resided at 22, 22 different ha- homes and had attended 12 schools. That is quite a bit of movement, it quite is. a bit of instability. That is extremely unusual. And he enlisted on October the 24th, 1956, just a week after his 17th birthday. Because of his age, his older brother, Robert Jr., was required to sign as his, as his legal guardian. Oswald also named his mother and his half-brother as beneficiaries. Now, Lee, Lee's older brother had also been in the Marine Corps, and Lee idolized his older brother. And he wanted to follow in his footsteps as well. Ah, okay. Okay, I that, okay that makes sense, too. He was looking to his older brother as a father figure yes, he as was. well. So now John, who was Lee's half-brother, testified to the Warren Commission that that Lee's enlistment was motivated by wanting to get out from under the yoke of oppression of, our, of, our, of his mother. So Marguerite was very overbearing. That's something else that was a bit of an issue for Lee is that his mother just wouldn't leave him alone. That um, that does happen to some young men who uh, don't have a father figure. The mother tries to compensate and becomes overbearing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And very controlling. Right. Now, his primary training, as you mentioned earlier, was radar operation. And this required a security clearance. A May 1967 document stated that he was granted final clearance to handle classified matter up to and including confidential after careful check of local records had disclosed no derogatory data. Yes, that's important to remember. Two things about a security clearance. One, it only pertains to your quote shop. Where, where, right. where you work. It, your security clearance is not valid outside your place of work within your military unit. Okay. The other thing to remember about a security clearance is, in essence, it is a leash. It means the government knows a lot about you. The government learns about who you've associated with, some very specific information about you so that if information leaks from where you work and you're not available, they could, they know where to start searching for you because they, they know that you have access to this information. Also, it was, it was a lot easier to disappear in the 1950s than it is now. Yes. So when you have a security clearance, yes, the government has to know Every, more about everything. You. Uh, everything they can about you so that they'll they can look for you if you have if you are believed to have compromised uh, any information yes. at Keesler Air Force Base in Mississippi Lee, ha- Lee Harvey Oswald finished seventh in a class of 30 in the aircraft control and warning operator course which included instruction in aircraft surveillance and the use of radar he was very smart. 
Seven, seventh out of the third is pretty good. You see your top ten of the class. Yeah, and, and that falls in line with his previous interest in Civil Air Patrol was in Civil Air Patrol. You learn about aerospace science and, you know, the Air Force, Air Force planes, and, you know, civilian planes, stuff like that. Yes. And he was given the military occupational speciality of aviation electronics operator. Which was, uh, it's funny, I still remember the... Uh, the classification code occupational field 7200. Ah, that was that yours? Originally, yeah. yeah okay. Just, just, just like him, yeah. On July the 9th, he reported to the Marine Corps Air Station El Toro in California. And there he met fellow Marine Carrie Thornley, who co created the uh, uh, Discordianism philosophy. So Thornley wrote in the 1962 fictional book, The Idle Warriors. He based the, the main character on Lee Harvey Oswald. This was the only book written about Lee Harvey Oswald before the Kennedy assassination. Yeah, this is intriguing as apparently in the Marine Corps, he kind of uh, stood out enough to have a book written about him. And to be noticed by someone who may have uh, inadvertently influenced him. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Now, like all Marines, Lee Harvey Oswald was trained and tested in shooting. In December of 1956, he scored 212, which was slightly above the requirements for the designation of sharpshooter. Then in May of 19... 19- uh, I shot 215. Oh, you were better so than I, So I still shot a higher score than he did, yeah. Okay. But in May of 1959, he scored 191, which reduced his rating to marksman. Ah! Uh, yeah. Ah! Uh, so uh, actually got worse. So it was both. Really? Oh, yeah. Well, the marksman badge, uh, mark, rifle badge in the Marine Corps, it's supposed to resemble a shooting target with the circles in it. Oh. But because it has circles in it, it's it's received the derogatory, and it's the minimum qualification that received the derogatory reference of uh, toilet bowl. Ah. Okay. Well, th- thank you for sharing that. <laughs> Whereas sharpshooter is a German cross with the uh, Marine Corps anchor, globe, and eagle insignia in the middle of it. it it's very pretty. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Lee Harvey Oswald was court-martialed after he accidentally shot himself in the elbow with an unauthorized 22 caliber handgun. He was court-martialed a second time for fighting with a sergeant who he thought was responsible for his punishment in the shooting matter. He was demoted from private first class to just private, and he was briefly imprisoned. And he was later punished for a third incident. While he was on sentry duty in the Philippines, he inexplicably fired his rifle into the jungle. Did you know all that about him? Uh, Actually, I didn't know all that about him, but I'm not terribly surprised that he couldn't get through his Marine Corps career. Without some sort of trouble? Without... uh, non-judicial punishment and even judicial punishment i mean when you're tried by court-martial that's the official the official phrase is is tried by court-martial although the common terminology is just is court-martialed okay right you know if you're not it's a military trial and chances are your your judge is going to hold the rank of uh either a colonel or a general Okay, Uh, so it's a big deal. It's a criminal trial. It's a felony criminal trial. 
that right. takes place in this case in the Marine Corps or in military. So, um, and some of the stuff like like fighting with his NCO. Well, he was kind of if it was handled by court martial, that that's pretty unlucky. Yeah. Uh, normally, that would be handled uh, non-judicial uh, punishment, uh, Article Fifteen. Ordinarily, which is a misdemeanor proceeding in the military, of course. So apparently he couldn't he couldn't stay out of trouble even in the Marine Corps. You know, those are all bad signs right there. Uh, you know, I've never <laughs> I've never even been threatened with a court martial. Right. And, and the article that's a story for another time. The Article 15 hearing I was subjected to was a prank by the drill instructors in boot camp because when I was accused of doing what would ordinarily not be handled by uh, Article 15, you know. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll save that story for another episode. Yeah. Okay. So slightly built, or uh, Lee Harvey Oswald had a slight build, and he was nicknamed Ozzy Rabbit after a cartoon character. He was also called Oswaldakovich because he espoused pro-Soviet sentiments. Yeah, they, that that's that's another that's another spot where I kind of disagreed with him there. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and you know, come the thing when I'm willing to bet that his fellow cadets in Civil Air Patrol, uh, if he'd even said anything about that, probably didn't really care much for it. Well, yes, except that it almost came in handy for him because. While he was in the Marines, he taught himself rudimentary Russian. Then on February the 25th of 1959, he was invited to take a Marine proficiency exam in written and spoken Russian. His level at the time was rated poor in understanding spoken Russian, but he was proficient in reading and writing Russian. So it was possible he was being considered for intelligence. Possibly so, yeah. Yeah, he already had a security clearance and he was studying Russian. And that would be, like when I was in the Marine Corps, I remember it was encouraged. Right. It was encouraged lightly. Anyone who wanted to learn Russian to learn it, mm-hmm. you know, under the the basis of, of knowing your enemy. And now what I did do was I did study Russian weapons and planes, equipment, you know, their their tanks, you know, learned everything I could I could learn about that stuff. Okay, but that's oh. under the con- the pretext of well, of, of hey, knowing your enemy, you know. Considering what's been going on in, in, in Ukraine lately, we're all getting kind of an education in Soviet era Russian tanks and weaponry, aren't we? Yes, an education in some of the modern stuff and, and because they're having to throw in everything but the kitchen sink, the yes. Russians that is. Uh some of the the older stuff that I was more familiar with, but is pretty obsolete yes, by today's standards. But they're still using it. But anyway, um, <clears throat> on September the eleventh of nineteen fifty nine, he received a hardship discharge from active service, claiming his mother needed care, and he was placed in the United States Marine Corps Reserve. Well, I would place it under the category of. Of uh, wham, 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 my little bleepity, bleepity, bleepity hurts. Okay? <laughs> okay. You know, there was, 
on, I don't want to say what was what drill instructors and and later on corporals and sergeants and staff sergeants would would say. Okay, right on on this program. That uh, sounds another way to put it is uh, okay. Uh, yeah, Oswald, I hear excuses. Yeah, and all this, and he was only twenty years old. So if he enlisted in the Marine Corps when he was seventeen. It was 20. This isn't even a full four years yet. No, no. Between that and all the trouble he got into, he, he in, in reality, he didn't last. So we're and gonna, he doesn't have, a, and he doesn't really have an honorable discharge, does he? We will get there after this break. And we are back. And just before his 20th birthday, Oswald traveled to the Soviet Union in 1959. He had saved some money, and he had continued to teach himself Russian. He spent some time in Fort, Fort Worth when he went to New Orleans, and from there he went to France and then the United Kingdom. He told the U.K. officials that he had $700 and planned to stay for one week before proceeding to a school in Switzerland. But on the same day, he flew to Helsinki, where he checked in at a hotel. And he was issued a Soviet visa on October the 14th. Oswald then left Helsinki by train the following day. He crossed the Soviet border and arrived in Moscow on October the 16th. His visa was valid for only a week and expired on October the 21st. Almost immediately after arriving, Oswald informed his tourist guide of his desire to become a Soviet citizen. He expressed this desire to every Russian official that he thought would help him. And Brian, how do you think the Soviet citizens reacted to this? Probably thinking he's a spy. Well, possibly yes, but they he several officials asked him they couldn't understand why he would want to become a Soviet citizen. They found it incomprehensible that an American would want to become a Soviet Union citizen. Yeah, many, many Russians during the Cold War knew pretty well, had had some idea of what life was like in the United States, mm-hmm. uh, a life that was free of many of the restrictions they're under, opportunities available, that someone could simply uh, educate themselves and endeavor for by their choice, not the government's choice. Right. You know, uh, you, you, you know, you choose to apply to a school, endeavor to make it into the school instead of the government saying approving of it and saying, yes, you can do this. Right. So they're all, all well aware of that. And, you know, they all knew that, well, it's not like we could just defect and go to the United States. Whereas uh, if you could defect, then of course, the United States took you in, you know, for propaganda purposes at the very least. But defecting was very risky. You had you had to risk your life and even risk the lives and well-being of your family in Russia if you were trying to defect or any part of the Soviet Union, pretty much. So they're, they're probably scratching their heads wondering, uh, many of us would like to leave if we could. 
Why well, I know. But what? What? Why does this guy want in? Well, I know that that this is a bit. Um, I mean, it's a slightly slightly off topic, okay? But um, yeah, when you talk about defecting, you know, one of the one of the things that really caught the attention of the public was when the Soviet Union ballet companies, some of their some of their best dancers defected. Yes. Okay, um, Mikhail Baryshnikov, for example. Uh, yeah. Uh, Rudolf Nureyev, you know, just did the, these beautiful Russian superstar dancers. Yeah, they had they had KGB handlers. Yes. Okay, and so for them, even when in another country, they had to use their brilliant minds to come up with plans. Yes. To get away from their holders. Mm-hmm. And find someone who could protect them, yeah. and help them to defect. Yeah, it was it was it was not easy to defect, and apparently it wasn't that easy to become a citizen either. No, but one one in in those cases, once they found the right point of contact from mm-hmm. the United States, uh, Pretty much, you know, the re- the rest of the rest is history. There, there was no way that the United States government was going to not let any of these famous artists not defect. Exactly. On October the twenty first, the day that Lee Harvey Oswald's visa was due to expire, he was told that his citizenship application had been refused, and then he had to leave the Soviet Union that evening. He was. He did not take this well. He inflicted a a minor but bloody wound to his left wrist in his hotel bathtub. Uh, this this was before his tourist guide was due to arrive to collect him to escort him from the country. Mm-hmm. And he and he wrote in his diary that he did this because he wanted to kill himself in a way that would shock the tourist guide. Wow, that talk about a temporary crisis there. Yeah, and, and and that's not anything, that's not anything great to aspire to doing. You're just trying to shock one person, who actually doesn't have a whole lot of power, definitely doesn't have any notoriety really, except that 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 uh, dealt with Lee Harvey Oswald. Right. Although at the time he wasn't famous by any stretch. No, not yet, but he was getting there. So his departure was delayed because of the self-inflicted injury. And the Soviets kept him in a Moscow hospital under psychiatric observation for a week until October the 28th, 1959. During that time, he met with four more Soviet officials who asked if he wanted to return to the United States. He replied by insisting that he wanted to live in the Soviet Union as a Soviet national. He provided his Marine Corps discharge papers as an identification. Oh, that also kind of screams, uh, screams spy. Uh, but you can't help but, but reason that, okay, either he wants to be a spy or he is a, or he's a crackpot. Okay. Okay. Uh, but it seems to me like the Soviet Union at the time given that it's someone who is a uh, a veteran of military service you know probably would probably would strongly consider uh what they would call a defection right 
Yeah, they would call it a defection. We would call it an immigration. Yes, we you would. Know. On October the 31st of that same year, Lee Harvey Oswald appeared at the United States Embassy in Moscow and declared a desire to renounce his U.S. citizenship. He told the U.S. Embassy interviewing officer Richard Edward Schneider that he was through and that he had made up his mind. He also stated that he had been a radar operator in the Marine Corps, and he told Schneider that he had implied to, un, to the unnamed, unnamed Soviet officials that as a Soviet citizen, he would reveal classified secrets to them. Ah, oh, okay, yeah, that, that's, uh, it's considered treasonous to renounce your U.S. citizenship, okay, and that is one of the questions, I believe it's still a question today, when you enlist in any, any branch of the United States military, is, you know, have you renounced your citizenship? Uh, so that's, that's even, that's even further, so he, he threatens to release classified information he, he did threaten to release classified information. So he also so those statements led to Lee Harvey Oswald's hardship honorable military reserve discharge being changed to undesirable. Okay. So is that the same that thing? That sounds like a strategy. Is that the same thing as dishonorable discharge? Other than honorable conditions, I believe, is what that what that falls under. Other than honorable conditions. Okay. Um, Which I believe is just short of a dishonorable discharge. I okay. So the story of the defection of a former United States Marine to the Soviet Union was reported by both the Associated Press and the United Press International. And guess what? The Soviet Union allowed him to stay without him becoming a full citizen. In 1960, Oswald wanted to attend Moscow State University, but was sent to Belarus to work as a lathe operator at an electronics factory which produced radios, television, and military and space electronics. He received a government-subsidized, fully-furnished studio apartment in a prestigious building and an additional supplement to his factory pay, which allowed him to have a comfortable standard of living by working-class Soviet standards, and it was kept under constant surveillance. What do you make of all this? Well, the surveillance Spies. was that they, they, they were suspecting he was a spy, but they were going to go ahead and use him for propaganda purposes and attempt to make him happy by putting him in a job that's associated with his previous MOS of the Marine Corps. Right. Okay. Dealing with electronics. Uh, and they had, you know, some minor plans to uh, use him as propaganda. Like, oh, we'll see, he's much happier here than in the United States. Right. Okay. Exactly. They were, they were trying to do both of those things. Uh, see if he was, see if he, was in fact a spy and use him for propaganda purposes, sure. So Oswald was in a relationship with a Belarusian woman named Ella German. She did not love him and he was also seeing other women. In spite of this, he proposed to her, but she rejected him and they broke up in 1961. 
this was probably the only other great love interest that he had other than the woman that he would wind up marrying. And we already seen, well, once again, we're seeing how questionable Oswald's moral compass yes. has, has, al- has already been. You're, well, you're, you're dating this one girl. You propose to her, but meanwhile, you've been screwing around. Yes, and screwing around. Yeah. Now, living in the Soviet Union was not the utopia that Oswald had imagined it would be. He wrote in his diary that he was questioning the greatness of, of the Soviet Union. In other words, he was wondering what made it so great. Well, and this, what the word narcissist comes to mind mm. there. Because in reality, he wasn't being treated as special as right. he wanted to be treated. Although in the eyes of the Soviets, they were treating him special because he was getting more privileges than the ordinary and, citizen. Yes, 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 he was. And, you know, giving yeah. him a place to live and everything. And you know. gave him supplemental income on top of it. Yes. Treat, and he got. And he didn't have to pay rent. And he got a decent job. Yeah. And he got a decent for job. For a working class person living rent free. That wasn't special enough for him. He, he wanted, he obviously wanted to be of much greater stature, not only in life, but over there. And he probably would still be over there. It's funny. If the Russians would have eleva- would elevated him and given him power so he could feel like he's doing something great. Right. Okay? So that's what's missing from, that was most, what was missing from the equation in his Soviet life. He, he was empowered a little bit okay mm-hmm. but that wasn't enough to make him happy he wanted to do great things he wanted power right okay he probably really wanted to be in the kgb but the kgb probably wouldn't have had him or maybe they would have maybe well well, well apparently the, the soviets did not see in him what they what he wanted them to see in him. I mean, and, and let, let's get realistic, okay? You can't become, you can't instantly gain favor. At that time, yes, you could not instantly gain favor with the Soviet Communist Party as an outsider. Right, yeah. Okay? Yeah, there, there was, there's, there's always been nepotism involved, okay? And he, he, he wasn't even born on that side of the world. No, he wasn't. Let alone having being, you know, Eastern Slav or Russian, okay? So that's another thing. He wasn't Russian. That's very You true. see? So it was not going to happen. Now, now, on top of all of this, okay, of his narcissism, and this is something that I agree with him on, it, it was actually boring living over there because there was no nightlife. You know, there weren't really movie theaters, nightclubs, uh, social outlets to spend his time and money at outside of work. Yeah, yeah, he was in Belarus. He was in Belarus. So a little far away from St. Petersburg or Moscow where you did have these restaurants and movie theaters you know, and nice cultural and, you, right. you, you nice cultural centers, okay, like if you want Live performances, ballets, yeah. ballet, and whatnot, yeah, yeah, symphony, yes, 
art museums. Yeah. In 1961, he wrote to the Embassy of the United States. Moscow requested the return of his American passport and proposed to return to the United States if any changes against him would be dropped. I'm sorry, charges against him would be dropped. So he was trying to get back to America. (laughs) Yeah, we should have let them. We should have let Russia keep Oswald. Or should I say, let let the Soviet Union keep Oswald? Ah, well. We should not not we should not have let him back. I mean, I mean, really. I mean, he can't get through a career in the Marine Corps without getting out of trouble. He's not honorably discharged. Uh, I mean, the shenanigans he got into in the Marine Corps would have would have put you in Leavenworth these days. Mm, okay. okay, just just you know, by by comparison, renounces his citizenship, talks about how great the communist Soviets are. You know, moves over there. Well, we should have let him stay over there. Right. Yeah. So, throughout all this, he met his wife, and it was 19-year-old Marina Prusakova in early 1961. Probably one of the women that he was messing around with when he was dating Ella German. Okay. Very like, very likely. Yeah. Take, take, take what he, take what you can get at that point because the woman he was really interested in saw him for who he was. Yeah, well, he did wind up having a baby with Marina, and this was uh, baby June, and she was born in February of 1962, and they married a few weeks later. On May the 24th, 1962, Oswald and Marina applied at the United States Embassy in Moscow for documents that enabled her to immigrate to the United States. And on June the 1st, the United States Embassy gave the Harvey Oswald a repatriation loan of four hundred thirty-five dollars and seventy-one cents. Huh. Yeah. So all that, okay, living rent-free, having a supplemental income, lives in the Soviet Union for a while. Then he goes back to America with his family, and he gets money from the government to come back. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Didn't get what he wanted over there, so he's going to come back to the United States and try to get get what he wants over here. Now, he had expected when he returned to America with his wife and child, he expected a lot of attention from the press. And guess what? He didn't really receive that attention. And he expressed a disappointment that his story was not bigger. It's a little surprising, given that he's someone who was briefly used as a propaganda tool by the Soviets, and he wants to come back here because it isn't what he thought it would be. He doesn't like it. Mm -hmm. At least that's what he'd tell people, you know. (laughs) Um, And he he doesn't really get the attention for doing that. That's exactly it. And this is where we're going to leave the Harvey Oswald for the moment. And in the next episode, we're going to get into the final years of the life of Lee Lee Harvey Oswald. And in the episode after that, we are going to discuss the crime that he may or may not have committed. that That either way, it cemented him as one of the most notorious names in American history. Yes, 
yes. And uh, one reason why he's so notorious is because, uh, truth be told, he was always a dangerous and misguided individual. Yes. Uh, I mean, you put them, lots of people are dangerous. Okay. Sure. But they're not misguided. Okay. But you put misguided and dangerous together, it's a terrible recipe. It is. It, it's a bad batch. Yeah. Definite, definitely a bad batch. You know, whether you consider him, uh, whether you think he really committed the assassination or not. Uh, to put it bluntly, this guy was, this guy's been, was up to no good for a very long time. He was up to no good for a very long time. And, you know, his life, like I said, his life is so well documented. I mean, there are just so, so many, um, there's so many good sources that you can pull from to read about, you know, his early life, his schooling, his Marine Corps history, everything. And of course, it's only looking at it in retrospect that it all kind of comes together. You don't really see it when you are like if you knew him, right, or you were part of his life somehow, you didn't really see what could have been coming. Yeah, you may you may not have seen what the fair-minded and objective people like us see is that at the end he wasn't really interested in serving others, benefiting others, helping others. Mm-hmm. It was it was all about him. It was all about him. And in a bad way. Right. You know, like, as much as I have in common with him. Uh, there's a lot you don't have in common. There's a lot I don't have in common with him. And, and at my core, I'm the polar opposite. Mm-hmm. You know, as in addition to serving the Marine Corps and volunteering in Civil Air Patrol, I volunteered at church fairs, well, volunteered to work at at conventions, uh, volunteer. I was even a hospital volunteer at one point during high school, for example. Well, yeah, and, and I, I mean, I did volunteer so, work too. I, you know, I volunteered at animal shelters. I've done um, in-home health care. I mean, I, I mean that, that was a job. I got paid for that. But I think, it, you know, if, if you're willing to do things for others that need it, I think that, that speaks to the quality of a person that you are. Right, and especially if, I mean, I mean, yeah, we we all wanna we all talk about our proverbial resumes mm-hmm. and what we've done, but you know, if your resume is about essentially about doing things for other people, helping other people, gaining gaining your satisfaction from doing that, then it's much better than uh, doing things that are all about you. And and on a road that is morally that is morally questionable. Well, yes, at, but at, at worst, well, <laughs> you know. we all do morally questionable things. We've all done morally questionable things at some point in our life, right? But it's always interesting to see who takes that wrong turn and who does not take that wrong turn. And because I mean, you know, morally being morally ambiguous 
that's a lot of things every day. A lot of different choices that we can make as people, right? You know, like for example, um, I don't think that cannabis should be illegal at all, right? But if you live in a, in a place where it is not legal and you use it, okay, that could be considered morally ambiguous. But if it helps you, you're going to seek it out no matter what, even though it's technically against the law. Yeah, but even 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 if someone uses uses cannabis under those circumstances, they're still not committing harm against another person. That's true. Or their country. That's also or, true. Or any any institution. Yeah, maybe maybe Har- maybe Lee Harvey Oswald should have smoked weed. Maybe he would have calmed down a bit. Yeah, I, I don't know if he ever did, but it, it probably it, it could have really it could have helped him out. But in any case. Yeah. That's not whatever happened or didn't happen. That's not what happened. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. yes. Of course, the main main question is: Well, uh, you know, did did he really commit this assassination? But uh, you know, any any discussion on whether or not he actually did it should involve pretty much the fact that he was no angel. Mm, that's yeah. He was no angel, and, and right. he, he was he was not a good person. He was not an honorable man. Oh yeah, he he had no honor and no glory to his house. And also, this this is of course of relevance to myself and you know my time serving this country. Lee Harvey Oswald was a disgrace to the Marine Corps mm-hmm. yeah. for for a variety of things. A variety of things. Yeah, I, I mean, he shot himself in the elbow. I mean, what what is that? He he couldn't get through his Marine Corps career without getting into legal trouble, mm-hmm. causing serious mischief, serious serious criminal mischief, and then on top of that, he betrays our country. Yeah. After the Marine Corps, and. Man. gets gets involved gets involved in arguably the greatest criminal conspiracy this country's ever known that's very true and because this is november which is considered uh, you know a, a month of excess right like the, this is when the holiday season starts kicking in and you know you go have your thanksgiving dinner and you eat a lot of food and you do this and you do that um we are we are going to have a bit more podcast time for you this month and guess what our podcast is calorie free no guilt yeah yes. yeah that's right yes. so we cannot wait to talk to you guys again next week we appreciate y'all for listening to us we hope that you've learned a few things in this episode And as always, be safe, be kind. Remember that we're all human beings and do not park next to vans. And if you are talking to a member of law enforcement, whether it be municipal, state, or federal, in an official capacity, and you are not the victim or the witness to a crime, be sure to lawyer up 
And also remember, if it's dark, it's dangerous, and or you feel unsafe, don't be there in the first place. Be your own attorney in public. Negotiate your best outcome the way a lawyer would before you even need a lawyer.